0: Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us, denominational traditions can blind us, but truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. For several weeks, I've been taking um, some intentional time and discussing this issue of Uh, The possibility of a true, genuinely converted, blood-bought, born-again, redeemed child of God, possibly committing apostasy at any time, but especially at the end of the age. Is it possible for a Christian to truly renounce the faith? This is the fourth and the final episode where I'm going to intentionally deal with this topic If you are tuning in for the first time and have not listened to the previous three podcasts, um, as much as it pains me to redirect you, I'm going to do so because uh, today's podcast is going to wind it up. There's a lot of summary thoughts, but you won't be benefited um, on this issue unless you listen to the other three podcasts. I feel like I've made a very strong biblical case for my confidence that a, a true believer, someone who's genuinely redeemed, born again through faith in Jesus Christ, becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ, whose sins are purged, whose nature has been resurrected, who is possessing eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. I feel like I've made a good case that that person cannot commit apostasy, cannot lose their salvation. And um, somewhere after today's episode, I'm going to deal with the troubling passage from Hebrews chapter 6 that is probably the foundational passage to which most people go to prove that someone can lose their salvation, someone can commit apostasy. And although I'm being very firm in what I'm teaching and believing, I want to remind you guys that are listening that uh, this is not an ax to grind. I'm not upset with anybody um, certainly not trying to be divisive, but this is a topic that Christians disagree on. And it, there's only one answer the, there's no sliding scale. The answer is either yes, a Christian can apostatize and forfeit their soul, or no, they cannot. That's the answer. It's one of those two. There's nowhere in between. And so when we're dealing with a debatable topic, and this topic has been debated ad nauseum, I mean, it's been debated for centuries upon centuries. Um, when, when we have this issue, this is a theological argument. This is not about how we feel. This is not about, um, what we think. This is not about what our pastors and leaders have taught us. This is not about what our favorite, you know, kingdom mentors or preachers, teachers, writers, podcasters have said, we have to go to the word of God. And so for this being the fourth episode, my whole purpose is, what does the word of God say? Because if somebody wants to hold up Hebrews chapter number six and say, ha ha, specifically Hebrews six verses four through six and say, ha here we go. This proves that a Christian can apostatize and lose their salvation. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, what do you do with this mountain of scripture I've been giving that says the opposite? What do you do with that? So a very foundational approach to the Word of God is you always interpret um, unclear passages in the context of passages of Scripture that are clear. You never define clear passages by interpreting them through unclear passages. It's always the reverse. So what I've done is I've tried to clarify. I've tried to show you clearly that the Bible teaches that when somebody is genuinely converted by the sovereign grace of God, which results in uh, faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that person is, has eternal life, not a five-year life or a 10-year life or until the day you recant life, because a true believer cannot recant the faith. That's what all boils down to, that a truly born-again Christian cannot, it is impossible for somebody that is truly born-again made new in Christ, it's impossible for that person to renounce the faith and commit apostasy. And anybody who does commit apostasy or renounce their faith in Jesus Christ never were saved to begin with. And that's the um, basically the summary thoughts of the f- previous three episodes. So today I'm just going to kind of wind it up, but these are still important verses. And I hope that uh, you've been challenged. And again, a copy of these notes can be gotten by emailing me at Jeff at maverickmisfit.com I will reply to that email that you send me with a copy of these PDF notes and so let me carry on today I'm, I'm just going to go to an Old Testament passage to open up today from Psalms chapter 37 and in Psalm 37 28 you're going to find that the psalmist declared that the Lord will never forsake his own people it's what the psalmist declared the Bible says the Lord loves justice hallelujah he does then it says, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. So just very simply, as we launch today, this verse from the Psalms reveals the heart of God. It reveals the ways of God. He is not a God who forsakes those who belong to him. And that same verse on thirty-seven twenty-eight, it plainly states that his saints are preserved forever. I mean, just right there. It's the Old Testament. So this is the heart of God for all of eternity, that he doesn't forsake his own and he preserves his own forever. And although these words are not like theologically oriented or doctrinally structured as some of the previous passages that I've been sharing in this podcast series, this verse does clue us in to the kind of God that he actually is. He is the kind of God who does not forsake us. He will preserve us. The God of the Psalms is the same God of John ten and Ephesians one and John First John that I've been sharing with you in these podcasts. So the God of the Psalms is the same God that you bowed to, the God who doesn't forsake his saints and preserves them forever. Um, I think also importantly, as we jump to the New Testament, is a statement from the book of Second Timothy. In Second Timothy two nineteen, it says this: God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So look at that phrase the, Just let me repeat it. The Lord knows those who are his God knows those who truly belong to him. How does he know them? <laughs> well, as we've established in previous episodes, God chose them before they were born. You, you may not like the way that sounds. That may make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to get over yourself because the Bible undeniably teaches that God chooses people before they're born. And when he does so, he writes their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He gives them eternal life based on Christ' righteousness. Now, let me just ask you a question. For those that think that we can lose our salvation via apostasy or some level or some certain sin that we commit, how do we explain God removing from those that he knows before they're born and chooses them before they've ever done anything, writes their name in the book, Lamb's book of life. It says he knows those are who, who are his. How do we explain God potentially removing all that from them? No, seriously. If they truly believed, if a person truly believes, that gift that God gives cannot be forfeited or taken away. If they don't have it in the end, it's because they never had it at the beginning. And whatever it was that they believed, it was something less than truly saving faith. Remember, it it could have been a form of godliness that was absent of saving, enduring power. Remember that? They had a form of godliness, but did not have the power. They denied the power thereof. So it's inconsistent at best with the doctrine of salvation to allow for the sovereign God who knows all things in omniscience. It's inconsistent to think that he could fail to know who those are that might presumably abandon the faith. So the the reasonable question would be this. How or why would God choose them, justify them, seal them with the Spirit, write their names in the Lamb's book of life, promise them eternal life based on the merits of Jesus' sacrifice, and then later take all of that away because they supposedly renounce Christ? It makes no spiritual sense. It stands in conflict with what the Bible says about the origin of eternal life. If God knows those who are his, why would he give the gift of life to those whom he knows will not be with him in the end? Do you understand that? It just makes no sense. Why would he choose them, save them? And it's going to get more intense here in a minute from the book of Romans. Why would he do all of that and then say, oh, but in the end, they abandoned me. Why would Why would he give it to them? knowing that they were going to abandon him and apostatize, apostatize. So we've got to remember a few things from the New Testament that are very important, that you didn't start your salvation. You responded to God's initiation of your salvation. You didn't begin it, and you're not going to end it. You're saved by grace through faith. You're also kept by grace through faith. You say, well, Jeff, what about, that's what we're talking about. What if somebody loses their faith? Well, I've gone out of my way to establish you a truly born again Christian. According to the scriptures, can't lose their faith, cannot lose their faith because what God begins in us, God will complete in us. Hear me on this. What God initiates, God will complete. Philippians 1, 6. Listen to what the apostle Paul said. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So notice that the same one who initiated the work of salvation, God, <laughs> is the one who brings it to completion at the return of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, yeah, I'm, I'm certain about this. Paul writes again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, verses 23 and 24 listen to these words this is a prayer but in the prayer he's he's mentioning something that's foundational to his belief system first Thessalonians 5 23 24 Paul says now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely Do it. So notice here that God is the one who is credited with our final and complete sanctification and also God himself is the one credited for our blameless standing when Jesus returns. Paul writes that the same one, God, who calls us to salvation will, quote, surely do it. So the meaning here is that God has to see us through to make it to the end. The strength is his, not ours. You know, I don't want to go too technical, but some of this stuff is technical. And so I'm, I'm really hoping you're thinking as you're listening to this. But when it says that Paul is praying that their, their whole soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that word kept in the Greek is a strong word. It means to guard. It means to hold in reservation. It, it can mean to take into custody. And it means at times to be established. So read it this way. Paul is saying, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be guarded under blamelessness, be reserved in blamelessness, be held in blameless custody, be established in blamelessness at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in verse 24, the one who calls you is the same one who's going to accomplish it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's very important, guys, that you recognize that 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 verb translated kept in first Thessalonians five, twenty three and twenty four. It's a very intense word. It means like God holds you in custody. He's got you (laughs) when he saves you. He's got you. And it it is a passive Greek verb tense. It means you're not holding yourself. You're not keeping yourself. You're not doing it yourself. He is doing it. We are the passive recipients of what he's doing. That's the teaching of scripture. All right. So you're, you're hanging with me, right? This is teaching time, guys. This is not, This is not. you know, ministering to your emotions. This is saying, what does their Bible say? Because we're talking theology here. This is a theological issue. This is not about how you feel. Uh, th- there's a lot of doctrines that I don't feel awesome about. <laughs> and could you imagine the audacity of me changing theology based on how I feel about it? Good night alive. What a disregard for the word of God. We have to base our belief system on what the word of God says. And so in Romans 8, 28 through 30, here's very famous verses, Romans 8, um, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now watch this, verse 29, Romans eight twenty-nine. for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Massively important verses here. Because, I mean, literally, if you if you just hunker down and read Romans 28, excuse me, Romans 8, 28 through 30, you're going to find that the theological language here borders on the astounding. The subject of these verses are is, is those who are called according to his purpose. Guys, that's a clear description of of a salvation calling from God, not a ministry calling. It's not talking about those that are called unto preaching or missionary or evangelism or whatever. It's it's talking about being called unto Christ for salvation. It's called a salvific calling for those of you that care. And this calling results in eternal life in those who believe. And so this salvation is connected to God's foreknowledge and predestination to be fully and finally conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So again, notice the flow in these verses, particularly in verse 30. Predestined in eternity past. Don't try to figure that out. That's just something you believe. You try to figure it out, you lose your mind. It's just a statement in the Bible. You you can't figure it out because you're locked into time. And we're talking about predestination. It's, it's referring to a God who is outside of time. So it's not a chronological issue that you can figure out. It's just a Bible fact. You are predestined if you're saved in eternity past, but you're called to salvation in real time. So I was called to salvation on August 4th, 1994. That's where God called me to repent and I answered that call and therefore in real time I was called even though I was predestined in eternity past before I was ever formed in my mother's womb, but I was called in real time in 1994. I was justified in real time in 1994 but I was actually justified in eternity past and I was actually glorified in eternity past (laughs) all right is your mind blown yet of course it is because I mean these things are beyond our intellectual capacity to understand but all of these verbs that are there in Romans 8 28 through 30 all of these verbs the verb to be predestined to be called to be justified to be glorified They're they're all written in a Greek verb tense, and that's what the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to be written in. It's Koine Greek. It's the original language. And the verb tense that was used when these were written down, this verb tense indicates an action that is completed in the past, and it has present consequences. It's called the aorist verb tense, aorist indicative verb tense. And so it reveals an action completed in the past with present consequences. So understanding that, let's look at the verse again. We're chosen in the past by God. We're called in the past by God. We are justified in the past by God. We are glorified in the past by God. So think about this. When we're talking about losing your salvation, here's the theoretical question. How might those whom God has already glorified, from God's perspective, you are already glorified and have been since before the foundation of the world you are justified and glorified because you are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. How might those whom God has already glorified from his perspective ever end up in damnation in the future? Folks, the astounding component of these verses is that those who are predestined by God are already viewed by God as being glorified by God. So from God's perspective, those whom he has predestined are already viewed by him in perfect glory. Now, how could this be true if there was any potential threat for any of us to forfeit our salvation? I know that's heavy stuff, but this is a heavy doctrine and we can't just kind of, you know, do two minutes on this stuff and just say, "Oh, okay, I get it. We have to wrestle through these scriptures. This is a big deal, man. This is stuff that divides Christians. And by the way, it affects how you live. If you're living every day thinking you've got to hold your salvation together, you're going to be miserable because how 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 good is good enough? How sanctified is sanctified enough? What do you do when you sin? Do you scramble to make up for what you just did that was sinful? Do you got to add like five pounds of righteous stuff? You know, John says perfect love cast out fear because fear has torment. And so if you're constantly living in fear that you're going to forfeit your salvation, then um, you're not living proactively in trust and love. You're scrambling to make sure you've got your act together every day. And that's not faith. That's flesh. Let me give you some other scriptures that either explicitly or implicitly teach that God safeguards those who trust in him for salvation. I mean, I think we need to understand something that God is the one who is described as keeping us from falling. God's the one who keeps us from falling. He's the one that ensures we're presented before him in final glory. That's the book of Jude. Book of Jude, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever, amen. Really big. Jude, in verses 24 and 25, attaches to the Lord's glory, to the Lord's majesty, to the Lord's dominion, to the Lord's authority. He attaches God's own sovereign ability to keep us from falling and to present us blameless to God. We could, Guys, we got to consider that the glory and the majesty of God is diminished among us when we believe, teach, or preach that he's unable to keep in grace those whom he saves in grace. So this passage teaches that it's God's glory to keep those whom he saves. That's what your Bible teaches, guys. This is not my opinion. I mean, the Bible says he is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Romans 8, 34 ask a question who who is to condemn us Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us Christ Jesus is the one who died Christ Jesus is the one who was raised and he's at the right hand of God interceding for us if you read verses uh, Romans 8 34 through 39 matter of fact let me just read verse 35 and 38 and 39 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Shall distress? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The implied answer is no. None of these things can separate us from the love of Christ. And Paul answers it himself. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, I don't know how much clearer it has to be. So are these verses speaking of some sentimental love from God or is it speaking of the agape love of God that fuels salvation? Is Paul writing about the emotional view of love or the saving power of God's love? Clearly, the love that's being described in Romans 8, 34 through 39 is the saving love that is experienced, quote, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're plainly told that nothing can cause that saving love in Christ, who is constantly interceding at the right hand of God for the saved. Nothing can cause that love to cease. I mean, listen, will the Father decline the Son's prayers for us? Will the Father and the Son allow anything that might separate us from that saving love? Romans 8 says no. Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So Paul has a lot to say about that. Peter does too. Like if in First Peter 1, Peter describes the nature of the gift of eternal life. And the way he phrases things in First Peter 1 paints a clear picture that he viewed the inheritance of the saved people, saved people, Christians, he viewed our inheritance as 100% secure for us. 1 Peter 1. Yeah, I'm I'm giving you a ton of scripture because these are scriptural issues, not opinions. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hello? 1 Peter 3, 5 says we are guarded through God's power. Guarded. Can you imagine the audacity of us believing that if God is guarding something, it can be lost? It literally, we'd have to believe that our ability to sin is greater than God's ability to guard. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, by the way, these ver- these these words that are used in 1 Peter 1 3 through5 that I just read some pretty important words. it talks about our, our inheritance being imperishable. It's a Greek word that means it's not subject to being broken down. It means immortal, lasting forever. Undefiled means free from stain or blemish. Uh, especially understood as necessary to be untainted in the eyes of God. And then unfading means it's characterized by never losing quality or beauty. It's enduring. It's permanently fresh. And again, there's that word kept again that I mentioned earlier. It it means to continue in a certain state or position to be guarded or to be watched over, to be held in custody. And that's what the Bible says. So, Guys, and especially in verse five, Peter declares with no uncertainty that our salvation is being, quote, guarded by God's power until the very end, until the last time. I don't know what we do with verses like that. I appreciate it. I'm going to deal with Hebrews six. I know that some of you just got Hebrews six in your mind as the final answer to everything, but you, I'm giving you tons of scripture that you've got to work through And then you've got to, you you can hold up Hebrew six and I'm going to deal with that. But guys, the reality is, is Hebrew six is one passage. I'm giving you dozens of passages that say that you can't lose it. And so it's not enough to say, yeah, but Hebrews 6, okay. If you've got 25 passages plus that are very clear and specific that say you are guarded, you are kept, you are chosen, you will be sustained, you will endure because you are born again, you have a new nature, you're chosen before the foundation of the world, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're kept by the hand of Jesus, which is in the hand of God, and you will have an inheritance reserved for you that's being guarded by God. you got all these massive passages It's not enough to hold up a handful of verses from Hebrews 6 and say, yeah, but. Because over and over through the words of Jesus, through the writings of Paul, the writings of John, the writings of Peter, the writings of Jude, we're taught in scripture that genuine saving faith contains within it the power of lasting endurance until the end. God supplies that power, not us. If it depended on us, we, we would lose our salvation every single day. But God has to, God himself has to secure those whom he chooses. He has to secure those whom he calls. He has to secure those whom he justifies and seals. Why? Because in the end, this is why he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. Nobody's going to be walking around heaven saying, yeah, God got it started. But look, man, look at me. I finished it up. Yeah, God got the ball rolling. But do you see what I did once he got the ball rolling? Do you see how what pride there would be? If we kept ourselves. And so there's weeks of this podcast. And, um, you know, I've really challenged you to think on this. And as I close today, I want to I want to be clear. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. Remember John 10? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That's what Jesus Christ the Savior taught. The Lord does not want you nor I to live in such a fearful state of being in our soul that we wake up daily with the impossible pressure that we have to keep ourselves from some level of sin or some specific certain unpardonable sin so that we can go to heaven when we die. Because I can tell you this, listen, I'm not being flippant. If you can lose your salvation by sinning, you're going to lose it every day. And if that's the case, that Hebrews six passage tells you that it's impossible to be renewed under repentance if you ever did lose it. So if you can lose it, you can never get it back. If you're going to go off of Hebrews six verses four through six, go ahead and read those verses. If you can lose it, once you've lost it, you can never get it back. It says it's impossible to renew them again under repentance because they crucify the son of God freshly to themselves. So Hebrews six, four through six is coming up in a podcast. I'm going to give you a a couple of weeks to breathe, but I promise you I will deal with Hebrews 6. But I'm asking you to do something in these episodes. Ask yourself, has Jeff opened the scriptures to us honestly? Am I giving you some warped view on a couple of different passages that I'm manipulating and using for to advance my own position? Or am I giving you the plain teaching of dozens of passages of scripture that clearly are written to reassure us and to help us and to establish us in the fact that the God who began your salvation before you ever drew your first breath, it doesn't mean you don't have to believe. It doesn't mean you don't have to repent. Yes, all of that must happen. That is your part. The part that you play in salvation is you bring all of the sin that makes salvation required. You have to bring your sin, and you have to repent, and you have to trust that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you have to confess it And salvation is a surrender. That means you turn over your entire life to Jesus Christ. You surrender. You lay down and die, and he raises you up in his life. And when you do that, you have a new nature. The Bible says we are new creations when we come to Jesus Christ. The old passes away, and all things are becoming new. And part of the newness of what it means to be born again is that you have the enduring quality of eternal life in you. That the very essence of receiving eternal life carries with it a component that will endure unto the end. And those who recant Jesus, who renounce Jesus, who walk away from the faith, they did not lose their salvation. They prove by recanting, renouncing, and rejecting Christ, they prove that they never had true salvation to begin with. Mark it down. I am in no way saying that those that renounce the faith go to heaven. I'm saying they don't go because they never had eternal life to begin with. The other side of the coin says they hadn't lost it. That is not biblical. You cannot commit apostasy if you are truly born again because those who are truly born again will endure until the end. So grateful for your time over these weeks. I hope that you'll go back and listen to these episodes. I hope that you'll share them. I think at the end of the age, we need to have the confidence that we are finishing well, that we are kept preserved, interceded for by Jesus Christ, the Son of God at the right hand of the Father, and that that is the power that keeps us going. We believe, we trust, and God supplies the power to endure until the end. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. God bless. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned to childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24 and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.